Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Den här podcasten presenteras av Nordic Spirit True White, den tobaksfria nikoprillan. Yo, what's up? It's uh, James from Perturbator, James Kent. I'm here in Stockholm with my boy Frederick, who has a very nice, beautiful house and uh, a lot of cool records that I'm, uh, that I'm uh, eager to listen to. And we're drinking coffee right now. It's very nice. And uh, welcome to the podcast, I guess. I'm super psyched to have you here, James. AKA yeah, Perturbator. Yeah, me too. Perturbate, to disturb someone. What, where, where did you find that word? Uh, actually, I don't know. I was like, I, I don't have a romanticized sort of story about the name. So I was just like in my house and I was looking for a name that would sound like a 80s action flick, you know. And there's like Terminator, Predator, and a lot of things called Aider. Somewhere, and I, was, and I thought, you know what? Nobody used a perturbator before, so I'll take that. And you're from um, Paris? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, you... I'm from the outskirts of Paris. Outskirts. Which uh, which banlieue? Which, which uh, suburb? Ninety three, as we say in French. Uh, pretty, pretty cool suburbs. Chill. A bit, a bit, a bit ghetto, but it's okay. I like it. That's how I grew up. I got robbed in the Parisian suburbs once. That's that sucks, man. I was in Clichy sous Bois. Oh yeah, well, yeah. writing about hip hop. Okay, yeah, that's a rough, that's a rough place. Sorry about that. I hope they didn't steal anything too valuable. Well, they they just stole my uh, my photographer's camera. Oh, that's bad. So, so I was just happy that Shit. I got something to write about. He was not very happy. Man, you've been um, connected to the synthwave movement, although you've mm-hmm. distanced yourself from it yes. a lot lately. Yes, but yes. For people listening who don't know the, you know that genre, what, what is synthwave? I guess I have no idea what it is now, but when I started making Perturbator, synthwave used to be electronic music, but with um, attention 
to detail and attribute to the to the 80s movie soundtracks or uh, pop music or new wave, but it still has this very electronic music uh, base. You know, it's, it's not it's not like exactly new wave. It's not like soundtrack. It still has a beat, has a you know chorus and a song structure. That's how that's how I started. I started with a by listening to bands like uh, Power Glove, maybe you heard of them, uh, Noir Deco, were not, there was not a lot of people doing this type of music back then, in 2011, I guess. I mean, now it grew and it grew a lot. And I think my style of synthwave, uh, which is like darker than the usual, uh, started to take on. Uh, a life on its own, I guess. It became what people call a subgenre, I guess. Some people call it dark synth or something like that. I don't know about it. I just say that I make electronic music. But your new single, Excess, is basically this gothic post-punk band. Yeah. It doesn't really have anything to do with <laughs> yeah. traditional synthwave. Yeah, I'm a big fan of bands like um, Ulver, uh, Mr. Bongo. I- I'm a big fan of, of bands that can... Uh, switch their genre of music but retain their style like you you, you heard you, you hear Ulver's song and you know it's Ulver even though they made pop they made black metal or they made uh, hip-hop beats or orchestral music it still sounds like them so I'm not trying to copy Ulver of course but I'm 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 very inspired and I'm very admirative of that and I want every perturbative album to have their its own style, you know. But you started off basically as a metal musician. You didn't listen to a lot, lot of electronic music growing up. Mm, not at you, all. You were a metalhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at all. Actually, I was just like, um, yeah, I was a metalhead. Listened to a lot of uh, death metal, black metal. I still do. It's still my favorite uh, genre, my, my my style of predilection, I guess. And the guitar was your. First instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to play guitar on in um, various bands, I guess. Yeah, I, I no. actually listened to the Omniscient. I the Omniscient. Yeah. Omniscient. <laughs> well, that's the only band I had where we actually wrote some music and and recorded it and made some shows about it. And well, right now it's it's a bit lame. Listening back to it, I feel I feel like I could have done better, but it's okay. It's a you know. It's a good basis. It kind of reminded me of Korn, a few of the riffs. Yeah, we were like very into, it was like a period of my life where I was very into this sort of like a prog metal, like Meshuggah inspired metal. So we were, the riffs that I was writing were very heavy baritone, seven strings, eight strings guitar-ish. I was quite surprised reading that you didn't listen to any electronic music except for maybe like 70s horror soundtracks yeah well i think that's how uh perturbator became because i was uh i was kind of fed up with uh, metal and i was fed up with uh working with a band i thought you know what i I still want to make music because uh it it makes me mad if i don't make music i still wanted to make music and i saw this movie called uh hobo with a shotgun i don't know if you've heard of this movie i think that was a movie made inspired by the Grindhouse exactly, uh, project. Yeah. It's it's a modern like, movie. Tar- Tarantino's Grindhouse project. It's a recent movie, but it has this sort of like a, this Grindhouse uh, 
lots of uh, it, it's in Technicolor and like shit like that, and a lot of '80s homage. And the soundtrack was mind blowing for me because uh, it was this mix of uh, very modern and gritty electronic music, uh, like Justice, for example, but with arpeggiators or synthesizers that you would hear from the past, like from the 80s. And I heard that and I was like, fuck, this is absolutely what I want to do. Yeah, I started to make music on my own. I didn't know anything about uh, electronic music at all. And the only thing I knew about electronic music was the soundtracks, like John Carpenter, for example, uh, Vangelis. This is the thing about John Carpenter that it's my first music choice. I think this is my John Carpenter made music that it's my biggest inspiration for Perturbator. funny thing is that this is actually like a Ennio Morricone song. Yeah. He, he wrote it following John Carpenter's exactly. instructions. Exactly. But it's but it sounds so John Carpenter. That's the weirdest thing. I know it's Ennio Morricone, but it sounds so John Carpenter. And another it's example, almost, it almost sounds more John Carpenter like yeah. than John Carpenter. Than John Carpenter himself. Songs. It kind of proves you know what a genius Morricone must be. I have the same thing. Uh, same feeling about the Halloween 3 soundtrack, which is not made just by John Carpenter. I think there's a Alan Haworth. Oh yeah, the, yeah. who worked with him on who worked, previous movies. Yeah, yeah, and I think Alan Haworth brought some very cool sounding synthesizers to the to the soundtrack. And yeah, the main theme of uh, of Halloween 3 is also just like the thing. It sounds extremely, extremely John Carpenter. It has like this brooding atmosphere, this sense of mystery. And it's so minimal. It's super minimal, yeah. But you feel like you're in a in a street or like a dark alleyway and it's, and it's fucking raining or something. Can I swear here? You it, can swear as much as you like. Amazing. <laughs> fucking great. <laughs> other jobs except for your music? Uh, I used to sell popcorn in the theater, uh, but it was kind of lame, pretty lame. I didn't get to see good movies. I did that for like not even a month, I think. I just quit my, uh, I was in school, I quit school and I started to make Perturbator. I don't even get my, I didn't even get my grades. So you didn't do the like baccalaureate thing? Baccalaureate, exactly. Exactly. I don't have that. You don't have that? No, I don't have it. Because you went on tour as Perturbator. Because I, w- I went to make Perturbator and, you know, I went to do the soundtracks of Hotline Miami and stuff like that. So that was, this quickly became my job. I didn't realize you were that young when you started. That's... Yeah, I, I was about, I mean, it was like 2011. Yeah. So I believe I was around my 20s. I'm a bit shocked that you haven't listened to like house or techno or electronic body music or 
Because the, the, there's I, so I, many genres I, that you really touch on. I came to it afterwards. Like when I started Perturbator, soundtracks were my only grip to electronic music in general. And afterwards, I started to like really dwell into more, actually more EBM stuff, more industrial stuff. Uh, obviously, I heard about uh, Depeche Mode and all the new wave things that I really liked. But I never saw it as a as electronic music, but it is technically it is. I came to listen to a lot of different things like Front Two Four Two, DF, all the all the very more like alternative underground techno body music, like you said. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I started to I opened my mind about electronic music, and I started to really enjoy it. Some of your fans, they do their own videos and put on YouTube where they use like scenes from Robocop or Akira or the Terminator. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's... Uh, it, it works really well because so many of your yeah. songs are basically soundtracks to movies that don't exist. Yeah, I, I, used, to, I used to do some of them myself, actually. I used to, because I didn't have money to buy uh, music videos, of course, so I used to cut some movie clips and just put it on my own music. And I think I got, I think it got people's attention because it would work often. Speaking of which, you were going to play a Blade Runner song. Yeah, right? Vangelis. Vangelis, my pr- pretty much my favorite musician in uh, in the big four of synths. What I call the big four of synths is like uh, John Carpenter, Vangelis, I would say Tangerine Dream, and Goblin. And uh, Vangelis is my my biggest influence, my favorite musician. I love the way he used uh, pads and sound. To make a, to create an atmosphere. He's all about the atmosphere. And this is Blade Runner Blues. Exactly from Blade Runner soundtrack. It's so beautiful. Very beautiful. Very very beautiful. It plays in the scene where I don't know if you saw the movie. I guess you did. Many many times. Many times. It's my favorite movie of all time. It plays in the scene where uh, Deckard takes a glass of whiskey and he goes on his balcony and you see the beautiful matte painting uh, of the city and it looks so big and he, he looks super small and it's, it's very melan- melancholic. You know, ever since I saw Blade Runner, I've been dreaming about how the world would be so dark and cool and full of androids and neon and flying cars in 2019. Yeah. And you know, the year of the movie. Yeah, the and now, now we're finally living in 2019, and I'm, and I'm kind of disappointed. And it's not like that. It's not like that. You know, th- things look basically the same way they did 20 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, but you know what? In a in a way, in a sense, it's kind of good like that because the future depicted in Blade Runner is as beautiful as it looks like. It's a very dark future. It's a very lonely future, honestly.
I feel quite futuristic in the morning though when my wife goes to work and she, she works at H&M's department for artificial intelligence. Oh yeah, working this is with, crazy. Um, yeah, you know she doesn't work with robots, but mm -hmm. with um, computer systems that will decide how they deliver. This is um, insane. Clothes all, all over the world. It's kind of crazy. It's it's. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's a good thing or if it's a bad thing. It's not up for me to decide. But uh, I used to go to my uh, ex sound engineer house, and uh, he has like one of those smart house. Like you go, you enter the house, and you go like, hey put on the lights or you know whatever and the, the house would do it by itself i think it's kind of it can it can be creepy at times because you feel like you're being watched and then the house will turn develop, it. develop its own conscience and kick your friend out exactly yeah i was, <laughs> I was thinking about artificial intelligence when i when i read your the title of your last album the uncanny valley yeah that that's an expression used about how humans feel you know threatened or they repulsed yeah. by robots that look almost almost like them yeah like them whereas mm -hmm. they can develop warm feelings for robots like who huge. don't look human at all yeah like yeah. r2d2 yeah i have no idea why people you, you see you see nowadays in uh especially in asian countries they're like really developing this whole robots and android things or whatever and they always make them look so creepy like they do look creepy you see like a like a, i don't know I think a Japanese robot who sells sell tickets for the subway, and she has like this face. Like they, they try to give her like expressions, and I have no idea why people do that. Like why why feeling the need to make a machine look like you? It's kind of it's kind of weird. It's kind of egotistical in a way, right? And then you see a movie like <coughs> Big Hero Six. I'm not sure if you yeah, I saw, I saw the, this you, one. There's a big fat plastic white robot yeah, and big michelin with a, with a face that's just one line connecting two black dots that's yeah, it that's the yeah. entire face and you love the guy or yeah, the robot it's because it's iconic and it's it, it looks not not threatening i think there's something very menacing about human even like the likeness of a human being it, it, there's something that probably looks super threatening <laughs> I have an extract here from a musician, a music producer that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, his name is Lorne. Who's that? He's a. Uh, you know what? I don't know actually. I'm, I'm not. I'm, he's a very, very mysterious guy. I heard of him through. I guess it was like the, a music video called Acid Rain, and I listened to his um, Mace to Nowhere album, and it, it's the most dark electronic music album I've heard in a way and super heavy and very very moody and I really love it and what's this track called and this track is called Augsbow B that's some nice darkness right there very heavy very heavy he used to be a sound designer. He works... Hopefully lots of Lord fans type been <laughs> Lord by mistake. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, he's he's something. He is, like, extremely talented. Super heavy music. A lot of very 
interesting sound design choices. So many metal fans get into synthwave. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's so it's so puzzling to me because you know I used to get beaten up by guys wearing Metallica (laughs) t-shirts for listening to electronic music. Uh, You know those were two completely different worlds when (laughs) I was growing up. And now that there's uh, one of the biggest metal sites is called Metal Sucks. Metal Sucks. They they have something called Synthwave Sunday. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they I listed, think I heard about they it. They listed your album, The Uncanny Valley, as um, under a special section called uh, Albums That Will Fuck Your Face Off. Wow. I, I think I saw that, yeah. I didn't know it was on Mail Sucks. That's nice. Thanks to them. Thanks to them. I never grew up in this type of environment where, uh, how to put it, music was music. It was never a battle of genres. And I always found it extremely childish to be like, okay, I listen to metal. So I'm not going to listen to your pop music or whatever. Electronic music is for pussies. And I guess, I guess there are still some people like that. I do get some, some people like that talking about Perturbator, like, oh, he thinks he's metal, but he's not or whatever. I, I really don't give a shit. I'm not pretending to be metal. I believe my music has a a violence and a, a aggressivity to my music that maybe some metal fans will find uh, interesting. But yeah, I like every style of music. Not not every style of music, actually. There's some styles of music that I can't stand. But you, electronic you, music is super aggressive. It can be very aggressive or very dark, like we just heard with Lauren here. And you've played at the biggest metal festivals like Download, Roadburn, yeah. Metalfest. Yeah, that's crazy. I have no idea why. They, they don't book that many electronic musicians. Yeah, I think it's because there's a, even though there is, a, it's electronic music, there is like a song structure and there is, again, this violence in my music. And it's also a bit of fantasy in it. Like you, it's a very, how to say, nar- narrative music yeah. in a way. You, you imagine yourself in a futuristic city or in this dystopian city or something like that in a setting basically and i think a lot of metal albums do that in a way like uh, iron maiden or slayer who makes you feel like you're in hell and speaking of which my next track is slayer altar of sacrifice Rain and Blood, that's one of those albums that I'll never get tired of. It was my first metal album. It was? Believe it or not. Really? Yeah, it was. Um, oh, that's a good choice. 
my mother used to、uh, to be a music critic, and my dad turned by the way. And、uh, she would have this album on her shelf, like it's the CD version. And I had like a Walkman when I was like a very, very little boy. And I was,、uh, I used to steal this album just for the cover, just just by looking at the artwork. I knew I wanted to listen to it. And I, rem- I clearly remember nights where I was like just listening to it on on my little Walkman under my under my blanket, and I was just like reading the lyrics, especially the lyrics to this track, "Altar of Sacrifice." What's it about? Oh man, it's about a lot of sat- satanic stuff, and、uh, I guess it's Slayer, and it's about hell. Because the thing with Slayer is that sometimes they they you know they sang about、um, like Auschwitz or the Holocaust. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. They yeah. would get into、uh, was, subjects that were even heavier、uh, than、yeah. regular satanic stuff. But I was too young to understand this type of thing. I was literally like I don't know six years old or something like that. And I remember like li- li- reading the lyrics to "Altar of Sacrifice," and he, at one point he goes like,、uh, "Enter to the realm of Satan" or something like that. And when I was reading that, I was I was feeling bad, like、uh, I thought I was doing something terrible <laughs> by listening to this album. <laughs> I saw this clip on YouTube、um, where you you DJ at a club in Paris called Le Gibus. Wow, that was a while ago. And r- right when you start, someone in the audience screams "Electro Satanique!" Oh yeah. <laughs> do, do you have a lot of devil worshippers among your fans?、Uh, devil worshippers? I don't know. I don't ask them what they worship. I know I'm、uh, I'm pretty good friends with the Church of Satan, actually. Well, not the Church of Satan, not all of them, but.、Uh, I have friends there. I made an interview with them actually, with the Church of Satan. If they worship, they can people can worship whatever they want, as long as they don't force it on other people. But you don't have an interest in the occult yourself. I do have an interest in it, but、uh, I'm not considering. I don't consider myself a Satanist or something like that. I'm not a. I'm an atheist, hard atheist. <laughs> One thing that's not so common within metal is like remixes.、Um, yeah. pe- people remixing metal bands, but you recently remixed a song called "Sinus" by Cult of Luna, a Swedish Luna. band. Yeah,、um, love this band. I really love. And it sounds like this. Luna is a band from Umeå, a northern city in, in Sweden, like、yeah. where they have a lot of the hardcore bands come from there, like Refused, for instance. Oh yeah, Refused. 
I'm a big fan of Cult of Luna. They have a way to make music. It's, it's metal, but it's so so atmospheric. And I always keep I always use this word. But uh, I love the way they, they put layers of of instruments over layers of instruments. And the, the latest album, uh, Mariner, is like one of my favorite uh, uh, LPs of the year 2017, I believe they released it. And Vertical before that, the latest album. Oh, it was so, so amazing. It's extremely heavy. So, it's very heavy, but also very airy, like very... It has a lot of synthesizers, and I, I'm a sucker for that. If you make, if you have synthesizer in your metal band, I'm I'm interested. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Did you get in touch with them, or was it the opposite? It was it was my manager who got in touch with their manager, and you know we made it happen. I'm a big fan of their music. I guess they, I guess they enjoy mine. I'm not too sure, but I'm very proud of my remix. The next song is Depeche Mode, another song from my childhood. I used to switch uh, between Slayer, Rain and Blood, the album, and uh, Depeche Mode, Violator. But this next song is not from Violator, it's Stripped, my favorite Depeche Mode song. Oh, from Black Celebration? Yeah. My favorite Depeche Mode album. Your favorite Depeche Mode album.
So how did you discover Depeche Mode? Uh, from my mother again. She used to. She, she used to. She was a big fan of Depeche Mode. I think she still is. So thanks to her, she used to play me the whole Violator album when I was like also a kid. So I used to listen to very harsh Slayer album and very soothing and sexy Depeche Mode album, and I loved both. And I think, I think Perturbator, my music, if I want to bastardize my sound, I would I would say it's a mix between Depeche Mode and Slayer. If if they had a kid. Speaking of your, your mom, I wanted to play you this track. So this is uh, Etrange Affinité by Radio Romance. Radio Romance, yeah. This uh, is my early mom's 80s band. band. Yeah. Your mom was... My mom is a singer I, here. Yeah, yeah. She's singing on this. Listen to it too much, actually, but uh, yeah, I recognize her voice, of course. <laughs> it does sound cool. I found this on a compilation called "The Jeunes Gens Modernes," the young and modern people, the young volume one. two. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they even made, they ever made an album, actually. I think, I don't know. I think they only made singles with Radio Romance. Both your parents are music journalists and, and yeah. musicians as well. Your father is Nick Kent, Nick, Nick who's Kent, yeah. probably the most influential rock journalist of all time. Oh, um, <laughs> and he, he moved to Paris in the late eighties. Yeah, met your mom, uh, Laurence Aumans, mm -hmm. who worked a lot for TV and yeah, did a did lot work. of interviews with Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. Yeah, she's... I think she, also, she translated Kurt Cobain's diaries to French. Yes. That's true. She also used to take me to those interviews that she made, and I was, I was uh, blessed. I could say I was very blessed to be able to see and be next to people that I would later on be a big fan of, uh, especially uh, Ministry. She did a full interview of Face No More, and I was like right next to Mac Patton, which is one of my, my favorite vocalists of all time. <laughs> I was right next to him, just how old playing around. Then? I was I was a, a baby boy, man. I was like, a, I don't know. You were six. born in 1993, right? 93, yeah. I was like six years old, something like that, five. Just just like barely, barely old enough to walk, you know. <laughs> 
And I used to mess around with the people from these bands. I saw Tom York, Iggy Pop, but I didn't know because I was too too young to know who they were. So what was it like to grow up with parents who were so passionate about rock music? It was normal. I never saw them as uh, as people passionate about rock music. I just saw them as my parents, you know, especially when the younger I was, I was just thinking, you know, this is my parents. I'm, I don't really... I didn't really delve into what they're doing. And the older I grew, the more I realized, oh, shit, how they work with these people and they, they know the, these people and, uh, and I love them too. But it definitely made it easier for me to make music, to drop out of school and make music. Well, they were, you know, they were okay with it. It didn't feel any different. One thing that fascinates me is the way that the 80s to you is almost this magical mythical kingdom like you know narnia or oz or mm, not exactly i know i know that it's it's it was shit it was probably shit and my parents always told me because i never lived the 80s but they were always like the 80s was fucking depressing especially in france or countries like uh the european countries the 80s were probably shit but it looks from the movies and from everything you see, like the pop culture nowadays, it looks like it was amazing. And I always knew that as when I was making Perturbator. Perturbator is, is not, it's not a tribute to the 80s, as it were. It's just this idea of what the 80s were. And it's just like trying to distort it a bit, make it a bit more angry and whatever. But it's, I'm pretty sure the 80s was shit. And I'm glad I didn't get born there. <laughs> I don't think everything was better before. You you had a Cold War in the US and the Russia. You had uh, no phones, no fucking internet. I mean, <laughs> couldn't do a podcast. I'm a pretty huge fan of your father's writing. So I, I read his uh, mm-hmm. autobiography, Apathy for the Devil, where yeah. he writes about the 80s yeah. and how... That was when rock and roll died. Like the, the true spirit of rock music was just faded away. Yeah, <laughs> he 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 was he's a firm he's a firm believer of that. I don't agree with him, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a different topic. We we discuss about that sometimes <laughs> with my dad. <laughs> my favorite story about your father, yeah, is the one I heard that he, he was once out having dinner in a Chinese restaurant with David Bowie and Iggy Pop, mm-hmm. and this waitress comes up to them and she asks your, your father for an autograph. Yeah. And she ignores the other two. Oh. Because your father is the one who looks like a rock star. <laughs> he hasn't told you that story. He didn't tell me that story. He told me many stories now. I think my favorite story, the one I always, the one I will always remember is uh, he got in a fight. Not, not really in a fight, but he got in a fight with Bob Marley. Uh, he Bob was, Marley, how do you get in a fight with Bob Marley? Yeah, that's the that's the funny thing. That's the irony of the story because Bob Marley is supposed to be this uh, this king of peace, you know, like the, the the man who who loves everybody. Everybody, but Bob Marley started. A, I think he was in a hotel doing some uh, interviews, and it was like a hotel full of uh, famous people from back then. And uh, he went to the toilet, and Bob Marley was there with his friend smoking a huge joint. And my dad was just here, like, trying to take a piss, I guess. And Bob Marley started to, like, start shit with him. Like, dude, get the fuck out of the toilet. I'm here. And just, you know, it's it's so funny for me to imagine Bob Marley, 
whose scene has this this like Jesus this Jesus like the king of peace just trying to start a fight with my dad this is crazy speaking of your, your dad uh, getting into fights um, let's listen to the sex pistols oh man <laughs> Your dad played guitar in yeah, Sex Pistols in for, very, for a few months in 1975. Yeah, a very, a very early incarnation of the Sex Pistols. Like a year before they became the really Sex big. Pistols. Yeah, really. At that point, I think the Pistols were basically doing like 60s covers. Like yeah, covering pop songs from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then your father played guitar with them, and the big influence that he had on the band, that yeah. was you know crucial to their development, was not his guitar playing. But I, that your father told Steve Jones that he should listen to the Stooges. Yeah, I and then guess. the entire band, you know, the sound <laughs> changed completely. Yeah, well, and then after that, uh, Sid Vicious came, and uh, what a dick! What yeah, a, what, what, what happened what? between him and your father? Uh, I don't know. I think they got in a fight. I think Sid Vicious is like uh, this very dumb, dumb character. If I recall the story correctly, the the manager. Of the Sex Pistols back back in that time said that Michael McLaren Michael McLaren yeah, said that uh, Sid Vicious should make um, should beat someone from the band to make a to make an image to to create this image of like a dangerous band. He started to beat my dad with a with a bicycle chain, if I remember. Yeah, a rusty bicycle chain. A rusty bicycle chain in a bar, and yeah, I mean that's that's just a stupid move. It's just fucking stupid. But he only managed to hit your dad once with the rusty bike chain. I was not here, so I cannot, I cannot, I cannot tell you, man. <laughs> but yeah, probably. Pro- well, my dad always talks about Sid Vicious as if he is, he's like a rabid dog. You just tell him who to bite and he's going to do it. But he has no, no brain, you know. I'm sorry if I talk too much about your father, but I'm I'm just really really fascinated by, by his story, and I've <laughs> oh, read worry. all his articles and uh, it's okay. and books. Uh, one of the reasons that you know rock writers like me kind of worship your your father is that he was also like he wasn't just a journalist; he was a rock star at the same time. That's yeah, and he, he had this amazing look. If you look at the old pictures of him, so <laughs> someone described him as a mixture of Lord Byron and a lizard standing on its two legs. Man, <laughs> like a very tall. Very thin, very pale, and dressed completely in black leather. Well, does he still look as cool as that? He looks like uh, he looks like my dad now. He doesn't put he doesn't wear a leather jacket. He looks he looks like a very everyday man. But uh, but but I love him. I love him. Not not trying to diss on his fashion. <laughs> but how does he feel about um, the music that you make? Uh, we made a we made like a secret pact. Um, not really. It's not that like that. But I'd rather not know what my dad thinks of my music. And I think I think he's 
Every time he tell he talks about it with me, he just tells me he enjoys it. But I think it's just because he's my dad. So I will I will never know, and I'd rather not know exactly what he thinks about my music. There's a very sweet passage in his book, "Apathy for the Devil," yeah. your, your father's memoir, where he writes about you. Oh yeah, uh, and he writes like this: Jim is 16 now, with hair growing more than halfway down his back, <laughs> and a room full of computers and guitars. Every morning before setting off to school, he psychs himself by playing music. Death metal, they call it. <laughs> that sounds like the Lord of Misrule and his minions building shelves in an adjacent building. He has no respect for the old groups that I used to knock around with. The seventies have little to tempt him with, or so he claims, and I can't say that I blame him. <laughs> that is sweet. That is sweet. It's true. It's totally true. When you, I used you, to you be were sixteen at that point. I was sixteen, and uh, yeah, I was I was waking him up with my music, and by then, yeah, but back then I was not interested in his in the seventies and in the in the sixties bands that you used to listen to, and I think that came a bit later, like when I turned. I guess when I turned 19 or 18, I started to get interested in what my dad listened to and, of course, my mom as well and discovered some bands that I I cannot believe I missed I missed the mark on them, like uh, bands like uh, Yes or Klaatu or very old bands that my dad used to love and, of course, the Rolling, Stone, the Rolling Stones, this type of thing, Led Zeppelin even, that I used to hate. For some reason, because I didn't, I didn't know them too much. But now I start to get a appreci- appreciation for them. Yeah. So yeah, I think he was proud of that. I think he was happy with that. Has he, has he warned you about the dangers of the rock and roll lifestyle? Oh, he did. He did a lot. He did a lot. But at the same time, it's he he know he knows that it's what I want to do. It's what I wanted to do. Make music, live from it, tour. He uh, he ne- he couldn't prevent me from doing it, but he never wanted to prevent me from doing it. He just wanted me to know through his books, through his writing, but also through the conversation we had together that yeah, it's a it's a tricky road full of traps. So this is uh, Steam Machine by Daft Punk. While we listen to this, I'm going to take a nicotine pouch. From a nicotine pouch. Oh, yes. These are. are you familiar with? Sure. Have, are you familiar with Swedish snus? You put it. Here. You put it on your your lip. I'm familiar with it. But you you smoke, right? Or you? I smoke a lot. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. the nicotine rush is. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of intense. Just like that punk. And these nicotine pouches, by the way, are called Nordic Spirit True White. So, a little ad here, a little ad space. Daft Punk was, was formed in 1993, the year you were born. Yep. Do you have any relationship to them? Because, you know, when you think electronic music in France, you think of Daft Punk. Daft Punk, Punk in a way. yeah. There's really like a before and after that mm-hmm. they, they arrived. Believe it or not, I have 
I have a love-hate relationship with them because I have a lot of admiration for what they brought to electronic music and also, especially in France, they made it, they made it cool, they made it groovy, but also uh, a lot of things I don't like about them. I don't like the sampling, you know, the famous, the, 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 fuck, the Discovery album is, uh, it's almost stolen, stolen music and I have like a, a problem with that a little bit. Also the, um, I don't know, I, I, have, um, I have a problem with the way they, they communicate with their fans or their, some of their, their PR moves, I'm not a big fan of, especially nowadays, I, I don't really like what But they're doing. There's so many musicians that are you know masked that hide their faces. Daft mm. Punk is one of the only masked band that still has a mask that never revealed their faces too much. The music never touched me either, really. I always, I always find it found it tame compared to their their uh, peers. Uh, Justice, Justice to me was the the rock and roll of of uh, electronic music in France. Perhaps the most famous French electronic musician, Jean-Michel Jarre, oh, yeah. once um, mentioned you in an interview. And I said, perturbator, j'adore, complètement, yeah. beaucoup, perturbator, I adore, <laughs> completely, very much. And you, you wrote on Twitter that you would be up for a collaboration or a collab or a bro, bro lab. A bro, bro lab. That's a good mm -hmm. expression, a bro lab. I met him very recently, actually, a couple of uh, months ago, and I made, uh, I made something for him. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, he's going to release a remix album. And uh, with three remixes from artists he likes, and uh, I'm one of them. Uh, so, so is very, he remixing you? I'm remixing him. You're remixing him. Oh. And later on, I cannot talk too much about it, but there's going to be more collaboration with Jean-Michel Jean. He's the nicest person I know. Uh, a very down-to-earth legend. Have you been in touch with Gisafelstein in any way? No, not really. I think... No. Uh, that, I, I love this first record. That was something that completely Aleph, blew me away. Aleph is pretty good. It's a good album. And then, then the new one came out, and I'm so... I don't understand what he's trying to do. Oh, oh the new, oh, the new, the, the the new, new music. One, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm divided by the new thing, but, um, but Aleph is fucking amazing. It's a great album. I love his style. I love the way he, he makes electronic music sound minimalistic but very dangerous very dark and i always had a mad respect for his music but i never saw the guy i never met him never reached out to me or i never reached out to him i'm almost as disappointed as i was after seeing the phantom menace oh man like star wars <laughs> episode that one. much that much yeah I, I, I'm, i'm still you know i'm, I'm i'm discussing this, this with my therapist oh that bad. <laughs> you know you played some john carpenter earlier yes uh, dozens of artists have been inspired by him oh yeah this is one of my favorite john carpenter inspired tracks uh, it's by 
French producer called Jennifer Cardini. Okay. She's a techno DJ, and she put out this song in 2013 called Venom. And the Venom, never heard of it. Usually just makes like four to the floor techno. Yeah, this is really her only uh, you know, synth, synth ish Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people who do that in France actually. This type of music, very synthy, but like people who used to make techno music and they start to move towards more synthesizer and John Carpenter esque sounds. I think about the band called uh, a band. A producer called Remote oh. or The Hacker. Oh, The Hacker, I love The, the hacker. hacker. The Hacker is. Especially the stuff he did with Miss Kitten. Yeah, Miss Kitten is, yeah. Uh, Remote, um, I'm a big fan of Micron with a K. Good friends of Gazapo Stein, I guess, who sound very. It's very techno ish, but it, but it also has this, this atmosphere to it that I really like. Very John Carpenter esque, I guess, yeah. When will your next album be out? Probably this year. I'm gonna try to release it this year. After all the tours, because I have a lot of tours right now. But uh, as soon as I come back home to my to my wife and uh, and my cat. What's your cat called? Diva. 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 Yeah. Like one of my favorite French movies of all time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna work on the album. It's not over yet. It's not finished. But I uh, aim to release it by September, I guess. Will you continue exploring the post-punk thing on Excess? Yeah, the whole album is going to be pretty much like Excess. Will there be vocalists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot more than uh, it used to. I don't think I'm going to do too much instrumental tracks, probably one or two. But yeah, most of the album will be with vocalists. Uh, I'm going to sing on it. I sing already on Excess. Yeah, you sing on Excess, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. My, it's my voice. Well, singing is a big word. I'm just, you know, mumbling or talking, whatever. It's going to be like that. Very inspired by a new wave, cold wave, post-punk. A lot more guitars, a lot more... A lot of more dark stuff. Dark stuff. The dark stuff, exactly. Frederick, thank you for having me. It has been uh, it's been very it's been very nice. Listen to new music. I'm gonna listen to some of the things that you showed me because I didn't know about them. And uh, I have to go. I have to do a sound check and I have to do a show tonight at the Baser. I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks for coming. Thank here. You. It's been a true honor to have you here. And thanks for loads and loads and loads of very dark electronic music. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
Den här podcasten producerades av Leon Media i samarbete med Nordic Spirit True White, den tobaksfria nikoprillan. Producent var Daniel Bäckström och Perturbator var hemma i Australien. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.